Welcome, my friends, to another Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is February 27, 2022, and we are in our series called Finding Your Keys to the Kingdom of God. And this Sunday's message, we're dealing with David, the Davidic monarch. May God bless you, shall listen. Well, I don't know if you heard or not, but uh, our 95-year-old Queen Elizabeth got COVID a couple of weeks ago. Don't worry, she's doing okay. But, you know, we don't really think about her too much until she makes some big news in the news. Uh, But she really is our queen still, isn't she? She's as much our queen as she is England's queen. You know, maybe in a lesser degree as far as Parliament is concerned. But since 1953, we have had a monarch in power over Canada. She is our queen. Does anybody remember when King George was the king? That was 70 years ago. Anybody remember that? A few of you do? Yeah? few of you still have some coins with his face on the back. As a metal detectorist, I look for those coins out in the field. They're pretty precious coins to all of us. But Now, I don't know uh, how, many of this, how much of this uh, monarchy stuff, all this works, who will succeed her, all this kind of stuff. I don't know how all the dukes and lords and all that kind of thing work. Maybe you don't either. But for the most part, Canada kind of acts like it doesn't have a queen. You know, for in our everyday, normal, everyday life, there really, it really doesn't make much of a difference. But there was a time in Israel's Old Testament history where they didn't have a royal either. In fact, the idea of the kingdom was an evolving thing throughout the Old Testament. When, it, when we started this series, we began with a sort of a tracking of how the development of the kingdom of God came right from the primordial beginnings of the creation of the heavens and the earth when God established his sovereignty over all things. So when you go to Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we also know that by the time that Jesus came around, the importance of the kingdom of God in his ministry, in his life, cannot and should not be overlooked, right? I mean, Luke chapter 4, 43 to 44, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To every town also, because that is why I was sent. Think about the weight of that kind of a statement. Not only for Jesus' life, but also for ours. Jesus came so that the good news of the kingdom of God would be known in every town, village, and city. But that good news was a long time in coming, wasn't it? Thousands of years actually long. And there's a reason for that delay. And this is what we've been tracking so far. Let me give you a bit of an update in case you haven't been here for a bit. Because even at the beginning, from the beginning, something tragic happened early in the development of the kingdom of God. Namely, God's first imagers, Adam and Eve, you know them. uh, They started this insurrection by choosing to reject God's lordship. And they tried to become what God was by eating the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, they were banished from that early garden kingdom to live outside the benefits of their divine king and creator. But things just kept going from bad to worse as mankind continued to spread upon the earth. Noah's flood was meant to be sort of a great reset to reestablish the kingdom of God through Noah, righteous Noah, and his family. At first, this family spread out south from Mount Ararat to the areas of the Mesopotamian basin. 
uh, forming cities around the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers. I mean, great place to set up cities, right? Around rivers. Go figure. Who would have done that thing even today? We did. But if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, after Noah, the people eventually coalesced to a place called Babel. But Babel was about more than just a failed tower experiment and confusing languages. The people there sought to make a name for themselves by building a tower that reached to the heavens as a way of challenging God's lordship over them. Genesis 11. If they could build this tower to the heavens, like in the Garden of Eden they would become like God. And so God confused their languages, he, and they abandoned their tower, and then God disinherits the nations, and he gives them over to the fallen sons of God. Like Eden, he expels the people out of this main region and across the land. And we see that expansion on these maps. But Jacob, we're told in that passage around Babel, that the Lord kept them for their very own. A nation that not yet, did not yet exist. Now generations later, God visits a man named Abram. He's a man from Ur in the Chaldeans. A city in Mesopotamia. And he calls Abraham to leave his home. To follow him east to a land he's never seen before. So he had to go by faith. And he makes a covenant with Abram once he gets there to Canaan. This is the covenant, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 5. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. He was 75 years old when this took place. You should probably earmark that page in your Bible. That covenant is prime, prime real estate on those pages for the rest of your Bible. It's through this one man and woman that God created a people, a new people, who would ultimately extend his kingdom to every nation on earth. Through you, Abram, I will bless all the nations on the planet. And last week... We saw how this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob renewed this kingdom covenant with each succeeding generation until a roadblock takes place in Egypt. In an event known as the Exodus, God delivers Israel out of the hands of the gods of Egypt and he brings them through the Red Sea. But after Moses the people of God began to be unfaithful to his royal covenant by turning to other gods again. I wish we had time to hit every high point in the development of the kingdom of God between Moses and David, but we only have time for the highlights today. So now, generations later, Israel continues to forsake Yahweh. They're, waiting, they're wanting what the nations have. Not the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. No, they're wanting gods, plural, gods. And they also want a king, an earthly king, like their neighbors do. See, Moses, from, Mo, from Abraham to Moses and on, the Lord was supposed to be the Lord of Israel, the king of his people. And he governed the people through people like Moses and Aaron and through priests and judges and prophets. But finally, in Samuel's time, Samuel was a prophet, 
the people began to worry about who was going to be next. Since Samuel's sons and and none of Eli's sons, the high priest's sons, none of them followed the Lord. Their request for a king was was really an outright rejection of God's right of kingship over them. And so God told Samuel to appoint a king for them, just like they wanted. They were whining so much that God finally relented and gave them a king. He anointed Saul as king over Israel. And at first, Saul was doing okay until he began to set himself up as both the political and the spiritual leader of Israel. And that pride led him into idolatry. And that would set him up for the end of his kingdom. 1 Samuel 13, 13 to 14. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so Samuel anoints David, a simple shepherd boy, to be the next king of Israel. And that's why the rest of the book of 1 Samuel actually has Saul pursuing David to try to kill him, and David trying to escape Saul, trying to evade him so he doesn't get killed by this mad king. This shepherd imagery, of course, is overtly messianic. Now, of course, they didn't know that in their day, but we see in hindsight that it was, that this seemingly powerless shepherd king would come to defeat the giant Goliath, A genetic throwback to Genesis 6 where the sons of God had relations with daughters of men and produced the Nephilim. Mighty men of renown whom Goliath and his four brothers were descendants of. That's why David picked up five smooth stones saying, I've got one for you, Goliath, and four more for your brothers. And ever since Eden, we've known that there has been spiritual conflict always lurking behind the Old Testament story of the development of the kingdom of God. There has always been a conflict between the powers of darkness and the sovereignty of Yahweh. We saw that big time last week with Egypt, didn't we? But even from the very beginning, there was Genesis 1-1, there was Yahweh over the chaos waters. There was Adam and Eve against the serpent. There was Noah against the violence of men. There was Abraham and the Canaanite nations. There was Moses and the gods of Egypt, as I said. And there was David versus the Anakonite Goliath. Every generation had its conflicts with the powers of darkness. Trying to, and many times succeeding, to seduce the Israelites to abandon Yahweh and his covenants over them. Do you think that that seduction to follow after other gods has stopped for us today? No, absolutely not. Idolatry is still a temptation for God's people, isn't it? And idolatry is backed by the wicked supernatural forces of evil in this world. The reality in every generation is that God's people often want what God says they can't have. And that's what leads to idolatry. Like the temptation in the garden, we wrestle with the serpent. Did God really say that you can't have this or that? Like Eve, we know what God requires, but we also know what we want. And sometimes what we want is in opposition to the want of God, right? 
Our first point today is kind of more of a question for us then. Number one, what do you want these days that God your king does not want you to want? What do you want these days that God your king does not want you to want? I want you to think that through for a moment. Don't just kind of brush it aside. Give it a minute to settle in. And if there is something, you should write that down. What are you wanting these days that God your king does not want you to want? I'm going to give you a second to just pause. You might think right off the bat, I don't think there's anything, but think it through. Maybe that want is just to be able to do what you want for a change. Maybe that want will make your life easier if you just ignore your king. Maybe that want gets you more acceptance from others who deny God as their king. Maybe that want comes from just being frustrated that God doesn't seem to want what you want very often. Maybe that want is just to be bad for a change. Friend, who is your king? We sang about it already today. But you know what? It is not good, enough. It is not good to want a king other than God, the God who has delivered you from your enemies. We have a history book full of stories of people trying to do that. It's not good to want to be your own king even. Wanting what God does not want you to want will inevitably lead you to idolatry. And you will be playing right into the supernatural forces of evil that are around you every single day that you're oblivious to most times. I think that's sort of the plan of the enemy. Let's return to David, the man after God's own heart. David is going to change what God's people want from their king. And to do it, God initiates another covenant, this time with David, declaring that only David's descendants will be the legitimate heirs to the kingdom of God. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look at verses verses 8 to 17. Second Samuel 7, 8 to 17. After the king was settled in his palace... And the Lord had given him rest from his enemies all around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell your servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. Remember how this story of Israel and Egypt keeps coming up over and over again in the story of God and his kingdom? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites... Did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built a house of cedar? Now tell 
Now then, tell my servant David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointing you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I will establish his, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. David wanted to build Yahweh a house fit for the king of Israel. I mean, he had a house. Why shouldn't Yahweh have a house grander than his? He was thinking, though, of a physical building. But, you know, God had other plans. Understand that Yahweh wasn't really opposed to a house. His no was that David would not be the one to build it for him. In fact, God says, it's such a good idea, David, that I'm going to let your offspring be the builder of a house for me after you're dead. Have you ever gotten a no from God? Give a head nod if it's true. You've prayed about something. You think it's a pretty good idea. And as far as you can tell, it seems to be according enough to the will of God that God should deliver on that kind of prayer. But you get a no. At least in your lifetime, you get a no. I wonder if Nathan the prophet ever worried about telling the king that he wouldn't get what he wanted. (laughs) You usually don't tell kings those kinds of things. I wonder if Nathan the prophet ever wondered what was going on here. I mean, he had just blessed King David and said, go ahead, do it. And now David is getting a new word. But verse 18 tells us that David welcomed this no answer from God. And it says in verse 18 that the king went in and sat before the Lord. How many times have I responded to God's no by by sulking or ignoring God or being mad at him? In the past, I know there have been times where I've responded to God's no with a, well, fine then. What's the point in praying? Sometimes I just ignored the no and did what I wanted anyway. Because in my mind, there was no reason why God should have said no. I mean, it made sense. And so I went ahead. How about you? Can you relate with any of those scenarios? Listen in on David's prayer. Again, it's a little lengthy, but man, it's powerful. Chapter 7, verse 18 to 29. 
Who am I, sovereign Lord? This is David sitting in with the Lord. Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future house of your servant. And this degree, decree, sovereign Lord, is for, more, is, for mere, is for a mere human? There should be a question mark there, I think. But notice what David is pointing to. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great are you, sovereign Lord? There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself? And to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before the people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have, re- you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. These past 11 verses teach us a lot about prayer. I mean, you could anchor on, on this for a week to a month. But they lead us to a second point, which again is a question for us. Number two. Do you make the building of God's covenant house the basis of what you want and pray for? Let me repeat that. Do you make the building of God's covenant house the basis of what you want and pray for? Remember, God gave Adam and Eve the covenant obligation of having dominion over all the earth, right? That's that's what they should have wanted, That should have been enough, but they wanted what God told them they could not want, should not want. God tried to reset his kingdom through Noah, but it didn't take long before the descendants of Noah to forget their covenant with Yahweh and to build a tower to elevate themselves to God's position as Lord. God tries to start again with a new family, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, but it didn't take long for their descendants to forget the covenant of Yahweh and they settle in amongst the Egyptians and as a result, the gods of the Egyptians begin to take center stage in their life and they begin to be oppressed by the the Egyptians for a few hundred years. Then God makes Moses... 
He takes Moses and after delivering the Israelites from their enemies, he starts another covenant with Israel. Enforced this time with the Ten Commands and that ominous book of Leviticus is there too. Only to have them want what God didn't want them to want and as a result, what happened? They wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And now David, in his prayer, he's, he's, we see a man after God's own heart. He's a man who's wanting what God wants for his life. And forming his prayers that way, he prays with every ounce of his being here in this chapter that God fulfills his covenant promise fully through him and through his descendants. He makes the building of God's covenant house the basis of what he wants and prays for. And this covenant, this this house is not just a house, um, an earthly temple made by human hands, as it says. Listen to 7 to 14 again. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Who will? Verse 11. The Lord himself will build this house and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. That's a unique turn of phrase for David, I'm sure. David's son was Solomon. And certainly this is partially fulfilled in Solomon. In fact, Solomon did build this magnificent house or or temple for the Lord. But Solomon became an idolater, didn't he? He, His wives included the daughter of Pharaoh, a a past enemy of Israel, who God delivered them from, as well as a a Moabite, an Edomite, a Sidonite, and a Hittite woman, as well as all kinds of other women were part of his harem. And these women all opened the doors to Israel to the worship of foreign gods, gods that were not Yahweh. And as a result, that temple, that house of Solomon didn't last very long. No, there would be another son of David who would ultimately become the builder of the house of God. That one, God says, would be the son of God. And his throne would be the throne of the kingdom and it would last forever. If you kind of go forward a few thousand years to the book of Matthew. You read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, that, that genealogy that most of us kind of skip through, right? It's just a bunch of names. But listen to it. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I love how Matthew bookends the two covenants. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah. That phrase means that God is sovereign. That's what that phrase is all about. In his sovereignty, God tracked his covenant through these men, in spite of all their failures. And all the way down through the generations to verse 17, it says, Thus were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David. Not that the others in between were not important enough, but this, this was the two big ones. 14 from David to the exile to Babylon. We're back in Babylon again, back to where Abraham started. And 14 from the exile to, to Messiah. It took God 28 generations to bring about his son of David, 
who is also the Son of God, who is also the one who would build the house of God forever. You see how integrated and seamless the story of God is in your Bible? And that's why it's so important to be a reader and a, and a student of it. Hebrews 3, verse 6, if you go way forward into the, book of the, into the New Testament, Hebrews 3, 6, it ties it all together. Listen to it. The, the writer says, But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. See, they knit it together. And, he, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. See, friends, the house that an offspring of David would build for the Lord would not be built by human hands because we are not brick and mortar. We are his house. And that son of David is Jesus, the son of God, and he alone is the faithful builder. Hallelujah. We are the house of God that God builds. And he's still in process of building it. There are still more to be included in this house. And you and I, through believing loyalty to the king of heaven, become the place where God dwells. That's the essence of this new covenant in Christ. We are his house. We are the temple of God. We are the church. And that means that church is not an attendance mark. Attendance check mark. It's not an obligation. It's who we are. It's part of your identity as a believer in Jesus. It's not something we do with our Sunday mornings because we got nothing better to do. It's who we are together. We together are the house of God. And as such, it's good to be together. To represent the fuller house as full as we can get. It is who we are together. And the challenge today, like in the generations from Abraham to Moses and to David, is the challenge of making the building of God's covenant house the basis of what we want and pray for and live for. So our third point is another question, number three. How is your, belie- how is your believing loyalty to and confidence in the living God? How is your believing loyalty to and confidence in the living God? Hebrews 3, 6, and we are his house. I always hate when I see an if in the scriptures. Because then it's pointing at me. If, indeed, we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. That question is important for all of us to answer today. Us in this room and you online. And that's why the writer of Hebrews adds this warning right after. And he ties it to Israel's ongoing problem of rebellion and idolatry. Something that we need to be careful of still today. Listen to it. Hebrews 3, 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. This is Moses and the wilderness wanderings for 40 years where your ancestors tested and tried me, and through, uh, though for 40 years they saw what I did. They saw the wonders of God, and yet, and that's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not known my ways. And so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. 
See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart and turns away from the living God. O covenant house, it is possible, and this is scary, it is possible for some within the walls of a church fellowship to have unbelieving hearts and turn away from the living God. Perhaps you know people like that. Perhaps they are close members of your family. That's scary. But ongoing, uncompromising, believing loyalty is essential for anyone who claims to come under the roof of God's covenant house, the church. God is constantly building his covenant house, isn't he? The church, and he wants us to want to be part of that house and its building. To make it part of our everyday life. Just as he did. Just as it was the reason for Jesus coming. He wants it to be part of our reason for being. And he expects that we are part of that ongoing building process. And to commit to it with all of our hearts. So how will you know if what you pray for is based on what builds God's kingdom or covenant house? Well... Does what you pray for and want move you more fully into that covenant house or away from it? Does what you want and pray for move you closer to to God, your king, or does it move you further away from him? Here's the three questions to help test that that we already dealt with. Number one, what do you want these days that God, your king, does not want you to want? That is getting in the way of God being the full king of your life. And it could very very easily be slipping you into idolatry. Do you make the building of God's covenant house the basis of what you want and pray for? It's very easy to slip into, oh God bless me. It's another thing to pray as David prayed. For the ongoing future building of the covenant house of God. Number three, how is your believing loyalty to and confidence in the living God? Three questions that really should be a part of our everyday morning routine. Let's, let's just pray second, uh, David's prayer here in 2 Samuel 7. Let's bow our heads and let's commit a moment to the Lord in this way. And try to personalize this. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought us this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of including me, your servant, in a royal house that you are building for generations to come. In fact, you wish to deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord. What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, O Sovereign Lord. And Because of your promise and according to your, your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to me, your servant. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never heard 
of another God that is like you? What other nation on earth is like your holy people? What other nation, O oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You've made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O oh Lord, became their God. And Lord, that's part of my story now. Thank you. But who am I to be included in such a great family? And now, O oh Lord God, as your servant, do as you have promised concerning me and my family and my church family concerning the covenant house of Yahweh. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever in this house in this part of your house, so that everyone will say, the Lord Almighty is God over his chosen people there at Lawson Heights Alliance Church. And may the house of your servant, me, continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer along with your servant David, with the rest of your church from Christ on. Because you have revealed all this to me in your words, saying, I will build a house, the house of the dynasty of David, the dynasty of kings. And I have included you in it. For you, O God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to all who serve you in believing loyalty. And now may it please you to bless my family. Lord, those who have turned away from the living God, would you return them into this house? so that they may know you forever and serve you as I do. Living God, I will continue forever to be a part of the building of your great house. And now, be sovereign over my legacy and the legacy of my friends here, that we would experience the eternal blessing that is only available in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.